Proverbs chapter 6. I'm going to let you find it, and I want to say a couple of things, and then we'll read in the sixth chapter of Proverbs and take up where we left off this morning. Good. Look this way, and let me mention a couple of things. Um, every Bible preached message has an invitation in the sense that every Bible preached truth has a whole hum, the business of it, and a so what. In other words, anytime a preacher preaches the Bible, we have to go through what God says and then what we should do about it, what our response should be. So in that sense, I think every Bible-preached message has an invitation. But I don't think every Bible-preached message has what we call a come-forward invitation, you know, where you come forward and so on. If you do, basically, invitations are for two reasons. Now, there are more than these two, but these two are really critical um, in your thinking. There are two reasons for having an invitation. Number one is for encouragement of, of the body, of the church, of other people. In other words, when God deals in your heart, that's wonderful, and that's what's cru crucial and critical. But that other people know that can be an encouragement. So often we, we have invitations which basically are just for the purpose, we'll say, um, if you feel like you should come pray at the front or whatever, fine. But obviously you could pray where you're sitting, could you not? Yeah. And should. So the reason that we, we have invitations that would have people come forward is for encouragement. The second reason is for counsel. In other words, uh, especially for salvation. You, you say to a person, would you like to trust Christ? Yes. When I ask people if they'd like to trust Christ, my goal is to have them trust the Lord right where they're seated. I don't see any reason for them not to. So trust Christ. But then if they'll come forward, somebody can pray with them, show them Bible verses, and counsel them. So those are the two main reasons. Now, I don't think either one of those reasons uh, would necessitate a, quote, come forward invitation <clears throat> here at the retreat. I think it'd be fine. I mean, I don't think it'd be wrong at all at the end of the retreat to just say, uh, if God spoke in your heart, just tell the Lord, that by His grace and with His help, you'll do what He wants you to do. I think that'd be fine. But I think it'd be more encouraging if you do something on Sunday at your home church. So I don't know that your pastor will do this, but there are at least uh, about four pastors here. If the pastor says, you know, we had men at the retreat, and men of God spoke to your heart at the retreat, let me ask you just uh, to step out and come forward during the second stanza or the first stanza or whatever. Your moving will be an encouragement not only to you, and to the other men that came with you, but to the church. So I think that could be valid, and I think that would be a good deal. Now, it's not a matter that you need to go forward to pray, because you need to take care of that wherever you are. It's not a matter that you need to go forward for counsel, though you may. But my guess is, if you, if you want counsel, in other words, if you're saying, now, what do I need to do about some of the stuff I've heard? I'd ask the pastor on the way home. Um, and you can talk about that. Yesterday, coming back from... Titanic, I guess it was. Uh, I just, I, I really enjoyed talking with the pastor and asking a couple of things and discussing things that are dear to both of us. And so that's always a help. And of course, I travel a lot. I, I travel 50,000 miles a year, which is what, 75,000 uh, kilometers a year, and do that every year. And I, I drive most of it, and I have uh, since I was 24. So, uh, I've always made it a, a, a point to be able to discuss things and talk about things in the car because you've got lots of time if you're, going, if you're going any distance. So let me just throw that at you and you think about that. I'm not saying that everybody here who's made 
making a decision needs to respond in your church. But I think it'd be good. And maybe your pastor will ask for a testimony or, or something, and that'll be fine. If you give a testimony, do your best to reflect some Bible truth. In other words, just not how it worked in your life, but say something from the Bible. Like you might say, um, uh, I, I learned that marriage is a man, a, a woman, and a life. Fine. Uh, uh, a Bible truth so that it'll mean something when people leave. Uh, I have a pet peeve about this. Have you read this little saying over here on the plaque? Yeah. It's good. It says, um, God uh, sometimes uh, calms the storm for his children, some child and the storm. That's all true. But th- the problem with that is it's not direct scripture. So if you, if you, give, if you can put up a plaque that says, and God said, and then say what God says, you have God's promise that I won't return empty or void. So it's important. I'm not against this. I think it's great. I liked it. I think it's a good deal. But the, the point I'm making is anytime you can lock in what you're saying that this is what God said, it'll mean more to you. It'll mean more to your wife, to your church, to everybody. So hope that's helped. All right? Okay, quick review. This morning we looked at the truth Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established that it is obedience which is necessary in our lives as men for us to have understanding of truth. I often pray. I don't think it makes sense to anybody else. It would to you if you were there. But I often pray when I'm getting ready to preach, and I often say, Dear Lord, help us to come to this passage with submission so that we'll understand what you're saying, so that what you're saying will will be true to us and will mean something to us. So we saw this morning from the scripture that a child needs to obey so that a child can understand. That a child of God needs to obey so that a child of God can understand. Now you'll see that in Proverbs 6. This passage baffled me for a long time. You ever have a passage of scripture and you, some of it you understand and some of it you just, you, you know it's what God says, but it just, uh, you, you, you don't quite, You can't quite put everything together. Well, that's the way it was with this passage. In fact, I came to this passage before I saw Proverbs 16.3. And Proverbs 16.3 was the key that unlocked this passage as well as Ephesians uh, to me. was a real help to me. Look, if you would, at uh, Proverbs chapter 6. By the way, this is the instruction of a father to a son in context to keep him from the strange woman which is really interesting because we talked about um, this morning about purity just a little bit. Look down, if you would, in the sixth chapter, and uh, let's start with verse 20 or verse uh, 16. Excuse me, 26. Oh, 20. Boy, if my contacts were working better, it would be good for both of us. Verse 20. My son. Keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Now, look at the verse. Um, Keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. This is not crucial, but I think it's helpful. In this verse, dad has a what? What's the word here? Commandment. The word commandment means precept. So you could deviate from that a little bit and say idea, concept. Okay, keep dad's commandment and mom's law. The word law here is the same word that's used for the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. In other words, it's, it's God's law. So dad has commandments. Mom has laws. 
in verse 20. Look at verse 21. Bind them continually upon thine heart. Tie them about thy neck. Okay. When the Bible says bind them on your heart, tie them about your neck, it means bind what? Well, it means bind dad's commandments and mom's. Okay. So you take dad's commandments and mom's laws. You bind them to your heart. You tie them about your neck. Now, I take that to mean that you accept them into your heart, into your thinking, and you tie them about your neck, which just means you put them up so that you can see them. Kind of like this plaque over here. Um, I don't know if your wife does this. My wife, on our refrigerator, is that what you call them? Okay, refrigerator. On the refrigerator, she has pictures of the family, and then she'll have a verse or sometimes a saying like that, like she read something out of a devotional uh, written by her son, and she has that typed up because it was a help to her and has it out there. And so uh, it, the idea is you take dad's concepts, dad's commandments, and mom's law, you bind them to your heart, you tie them about your neck. Okay, so far are we good? Okay, look at the next verse here. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. Okay, when thou goest, it shall lead thee. What shall lead thee? Commandments and laws. Dad's commandments, mom's laws. Okay. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. Okay. What keeps thee in sleep? Dad's? Mom's? Okay. Now, this, this is literal. So, when you go, it guides. When you sleep, it keeps. Um, look back down at verse 22. Um, and when thou wakest, it shall talk with thee. So, I think of this. It shows to go, it keeps in sleep, and it talks as we walk. Now, this all has to do with information. So, what shows to go, what keeps in sleep, and what talks as we walk? And the answer is dads and moms. Okay, I love this. This is great. Okay, for the commandment, who gave that? Dad, okay. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law, who gave that? is light, and reproof of corrections are the way of life. Somebody says, Bill, here's your problem. You're all about rules and regulations. You know, you're all about outward uh, accommodation, about outward appearance. That's what you're all about. You're, you're kind of legalistic, um, which is incorrect. But somebody says, that's your problem, Bill. That's what you're all about. No, no, I'm about your understanding and my understanding and my children understanding. And so I understand the importance of dad's commandment and mom's. Okay, these, these are important. Now, look back at verse 20 and look, just take a minute and look to the passage and tell me if you can find any specific law or commandment listed. In other words, is there any specific law? Mom said make the bed. Dad said brush your teeth. Is there any specific law our commandment listed. No, there's not, is there? Okay, might I not assume that different dads and moms would have different laws and commandments? Okay, for example, let's take Brother Les. Brother Les has, I get this right, three children? Four. Okay, which one am I missing? Let me see here. There's the boy, and then there's the other boy, and there's two girls. That makes four, doesn't it? Okay, so... You've got four children, and Pastor, you have 
Wait, do you have children's? Well, let, let's because you're closer to the same age. Okay, so you got um, you got brother Lass, and uh, uh, then you have pastor son right here, um, and they both have children. Okay, let's suppose their children were friends, and let's say that brother Lass, uh, one of his daughters, asked that her friend that's about her age, do you all have any children that are about the same age? So what would their age be? Four. Four? Okay, four. And the name? Hannah. Hannah. Ruth is four. Ruth, okay. Hannah and Ruth, okay. So Hannah's four, Ruth is four. Okay, so Hannah says to Ruth, can you come spend the night with us? Dad okays it and dad okays it. So Ruth goes to spend the night with Hannah. All right, well... In Hannah's house, the lights have to be off at what time? 8.30. Okay. In Ruth's house, the lights at night have to be off at? About the same time. Okay. So let's change this to help me out. (laughs) Let's make it 9 o'clock in Hannah's house and 8.30 in Ruth's. Okay. Everybody got this? Okay. So Ruth comes home and she says to her dad, Dad! Dad, um, over in Hannah's house, we didn't have to go to bed till nine o'clock. How come we? Have to, how come? How come? I'm preaching here. Would you be quiet? Okay. Okay. So over in Hannah's house, we don't have to go to bed till nine o'clock. Now here's Dad. He makes his kids go to bed at eight thirty. Okay, but this dad over here, being much more liberal, <laughs> makes his chill, children go to bed at night. So Hannah comes home, and, and Ruth comes home, and they're both unhappy. You know, over at her house, we can stay up until 9. How come we can't stay up at our house till 9? You ever heard anything like this? Okay, so I don't understand, Dad. Um, they get to stay up to 9. Now let me tell you the answer to that. This is great. It'll help you. You look at your child, and you go... So? <laughs> so? You don't say anything else? No. Just go. So? Dad, 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 over at their house, they get to stay up till 9. You go. So? Now, the obvious answer is, that's their house, this is mine. Okay, so suppose Hannah's a little older. Suppose she's 14 and she says, where does the Bible say you have to be in bed with the lights out by 8.30? Well, where does the Bible say that? Well, not actually. Does the Bible say anywhere you've got to be in bed by 8.30? No. Who said it? Dad. Okay. But it is Dad's commandment. All right. And Dad's commandment, when given and adhered to, will help the child with light. See, I love this. See, it helps the child understand. Okay, so what we do is we fuss about the individual commandment rather than realizing that obeying gives to us enlightenment. See, that's the bottom line. That's what I want to see. Okay, so the Bible says the dad's commandments and mom's laws. Dad's commandment is a, you want to look at the verse and see what it says it is? Dad's commandment is a light, lamp, and mom's law is a light, and reproofs of correction are the way of life. Now, the way here is the trodden path again. Remember Proverbs 22? Okay, so here's your child, 
He's on the path of life. And on the path of life, he needs understanding. He needs lights. So the question is, how does he get it? With dads? Help me out, dads? And moms? Okay, now not specific laws, not specific commandments. That dad has commandments, and that mom has laws which are obeyed, gives to the child understanding. See, I love this. Okay, so the child's not going through life going, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what to do. I don't understand why we have to do this. No, no, the lights are on. Okay, the lights are on because dad has commandments and mom has laws. And so this child walks the way where proofs of instruction are the way of life, he walks the way because he has commandments and he has laws and he has reproofs and he has warnings and he has instruction. When obeyed, that provide for him lights. You know, all this passage is talking about is flashlights. It's at night and you want to you walk down to the lake. Okay, you can't see, so you take a flashlight. When you take the flashlight, it illuminates a step which you obey, and as you continue to do so, you find your way to the lake. See, is this making sense? And it's what we're fussing about in what we call broadly fundamentalism or Bible-believing circuits. It's what we fuss about all the time. Why do you have to have that rule? Why do you have to have that law? What does the Bible say? I can't wear that. What does the Bible say that it's wrong for a lady to X, Y, or Z? What does the Bible say that a man can't uh, X, Y, or Z? See, we're fussing about this all the time. You know, at that school, they say you can't whatever, whatever, whatever. So? It's a lamp. Well, you say, yeah, but I'm not sure the lamp is right. It doesn't have to be. All it has to be is a lamp. See, all dad has to have is a commandment. All mom has to have is a law. That one commandment, say 9 o'clock, and another commandment may say 8.30 is beside the point. Bob, but the child that gets to stay up to 9 has more freedom and liberty than the poor child that has to go to bed at 8. The child that goes to bed at 8 or 8.30 with obedience has more light than the child who fusses about going to bed at 9. See, we're fussing about flashlights. How many of you men... No, you could explain in fairly, fairly, de- I could, fairly good detail what makes a solid cell flashlight battery produce electricity. And I know generally you got chemicals in there and it produces a flow of electricity which produces heat, light in a flashlight. But if you said to me, can you explain to me, Bill, how a battery works in a flashlight, I couldn't. Can any of you, I'm not going to ask you to, but could anybody here, do you know basically uh, the chemistry behind light in a flashlight? Any, anybody here know that? Okay. Three. Three guys. Three guys. Um, okay, three guys. Three out of 32, whatever, 34, whatever we have here. Four. Four guys. All right. Okay. Do I have five? No. Okay. Four guys. Okay. Suppose we were at the castle at night. And suppose all the lights went out. I'm looking to see if they have any emergency lighting here. I don't see any. 
which is, is fine because it never works anyway. You know what emergency lighting is? It's, it's lighting that has a battery, and if your lights go out, it's supposed to come on automatically. They never do because I've been in a couple of situations. But, and when they do, you can't see anything. But anyway, okay. So there, there are no lights, and suppose all the lights went out, and we're kind of in the forest, and so it would be kind of dark out here. And so the pastor is speaking. All the lights go out. We can't continue the service. He wants to get us outside where there are cars, and therefore batteries and therefore lights, so that we can see what's going on and get things arranged and maybe find flashlights and stuff and go to our rooms. Okay. So the pastor says, it's dark. It's completely dark. Are there any men in the room uh, that have a flashlight? Let's make this me instead of the pastor so we can pick on the right person here. Uh, I say, are any men, any men in this room have on your person, right this second, a flashlight? Okay, do any of you have a flashlight? One. Is that it? Two. <laughs> he knows how it works. He's got one. He has not a clue. But he's got a flashlight. So it's two flashlights. Okay. So I say, okay, look. Now let's make it the pastor again. I like the pastor. This would be better. <laughs> pastor, pastor says, okay, now look, guys, look, we need, to, we need to just get out of the room. And we know we're not far to outside. We'll go outside. So we've got two flashlights. So uh, what we'll do is we'll have one brother stand up with his flashlight and the other brother stand up with his flashlight. And the three or four of you around the flashlights, follow them out. They'll come back in and get three or four more. And about uh, four trips, we'll have everybody outside. You got that? Okay. Now, suppose I'm sitting back over in the corner. I'm sitting back over here. And the pastor is giving these instructions. And I say to the pastor, Pastor! He says, yes. I say, you understand what makes a flashlight work? Pastor says, well, no, I don't. And I say, oh, great. You want me to follow the flashlight, but you can't even explain it to me. You don't even know how the flashlight works, but you expect that I should obey you and follow the flashlight out of the room. Would you say, that man is brilliant? <laughs> Or would you say he's an absolute kook? <laughs> okay, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Wait a minute. Are you telling me that in our Christian school you can't wear that jacket? Explain to me what's wrong with that jacket. You don't. Why don't you learn that flashlights give light to get you out of dangerous situations? And see, when a teen, often led by men who do the same thing on a different level, are always going, well, what's wrong with that? Why can't I do that? Who says you have to do this? Where did, you know, back in the 80s, they didn't do this. Back, you know, why? Why, you know, there are Christians over in America and they don't have to do that. How come we have to do that? You know, I know a fine pastor, a great pastor, and he never did that. How come we have to do that? You're fussing over flashlights. They're saying, but I don't understand how the flashlight works. Yes, I would like to get out of the building, but I, I must understand the flashlight. No, you're, you're a bumbling idiot, see. And the reason is because you're a rebel. And see, we go to churches and we say, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand that. I can't, I can't accept this. I don't agree with that. And we go through our lives in absolute darkness when God has given us a lamp and the light 
in this illustration, through dad's commandments and mom's laws. What you do is you just obey them. I have to obey stuff daily that I neither understand nor agree with. Don't you? I live in the United States. A lot of our speed limits are on, on what we call interstates are 70 miles an hour. That would be, I think it would be 170. It would be close to 100 kilometers, 110, 20 kilometers. Okay. They don't make sense to me. They don't make sense to me. I mean, I'm serious. I'm serious. On the speedometer of my car, it says 160. <laughs> this is miles an hour. You say, will it go 160 miles an hour? I don't know. Mary hasn't driven it yet, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But, but my car will do a lot more than 70 miles an hour. A lot more. And I could argue that in Kansas, which is wide open, or Texas, or Montana, or uh, parts of Tennessee, even though it's in the hills, where, where, you have, where you have six lanes at interstate, that would be equal to, if not better than, the Autobahn in Germany. But my deal is, how can we only go 70 miles an hour? You've got to drive. Monday, before we came here, Mary and I drove 740 miles. Okay, it took us, uh, because we stopped and had breakfast uh, with a pastor friend, took us all, almost 12 hours. Um, okay, um, I, you know, if I could drive 90, 90 miles an hour, two things would happen. Number one, uh, I'd get places quicker, and number two, I'd get to heaven much sooner <laughs> than I'm planning on. Okay, so now I'm being a little bit silly, but the point is, there are things about speed limits that I don't understand. Okay, does that mean I should never obey a speed limit? No, see, I'm supposed to. See, and the broader scope of life comes into focus when I live a life of simple obedience. Now, gentlemen, let me say this, and, and we're finished, okay? Look, we say the problem in our society is that children are disobedient. And that wives tend to fight against authority. Now, I wouldn't argue the fact that, generally speaking, in our society, children do disobey. And I wouldn't argue the fact that, generally speaking, in our society, it is the norm for women to feel uh, put upon to be in submission. Okay, but the question is, why is that true? Who are the rebels that allow that encourage, and that support all of that junk. And somebody says, you know, we, we've got to get the young people in our society straightened out. No, we don't. The problem of our country is the women in our country. They have no proper standards. The problem in our country is not the women in our country. Behind every lady who rebels or every teen who rebels, there is a Dad, and I, 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 I'm not saying here that our problem is we don't ask or require of our children or in our marriages submission. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we are full-fledged rebels ourselves. We just love it. We just want that's what we want in our lives. In other words, God's not going to tell me what to do. The church is not going to tell me what to do. In fact, I've seen Baptists who cloak their rebellion in Baptist theology. 
Everybody tells us when to meet, where to meet, how to meet. We don't have to meet regulations because we're children. You're a rebel. That's what you are. Say, well, I don't like some of the regulations that the government puts upon us. Who would? The question is, how would you change it? But to change wrong is through God's power, which rests upon the lives of people who live, who know how to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, and yes, please. Thank you for just in submission. If you want to define a man, if you want to define a Bible-believing man, if you want to define a man that God uses, then you're talking about a submissive person. Can I prove it? Of course I can. What kind of man was Moses? What kind of trouble did he get into? wasn't submissive. Let me use the Lord Jesus, who is more than a man. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who form of God thought not robbery to be equal with God, of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of that great exaltation of Jesus Christ in Philippians chapter 2 is based on the truth that Christ knew how to obey. Because he did, you have salvation as a free gift. Not because of the way he thought, not because of the way he lived, it's because he was submissive to the Father. And by the way, if I were to ask you, who's the most God? God the Father or Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit? The answer would be, they're all three God. No, but God the Father is no more God than is Christ. You mean Christ was willing to submit to a peer, not a superior? That's exactly what I'm saying. I'm telling you, gentlemen, one of the problems of being a man is that we're so often in places of leadership that we never see the importance of putting ourselves in submission. And by the way, that's one of the wonderful things about a church. You can be highly successful. You can be highly intelligent. You can be filthy rich. You can be admired by people numbering in the thousands. Well, if that's true, thank God for a local church where you can come in and be a member See, I don't, I don't get to hear... Well, I, I get to hear more preaching than most evangelists because we have a ministry at the ranch where we have speakers come and typically every week we have at least two speakers. I get to hear every service. So I do get to hear a lot of preaching. But more often than hearing preaching, I'm, I'm doing the preaching. Okay, see how dangerous that is? Can you see how dangerous that is? Because I'm in a position where I'm telling people to be godly. I need a church. I need a place where I can come and sit down and somebody says, now, Brother Rice, are you the pastor here? The deacon here? Nope. Lead the youth department here? Nope. Plan for the outings for the church? Nope. What are you thankful for it? Because member of a church gives me the right to understand the Bible. Imagine that. 68 years old. No great intelligence. Hang out with people like the pastor here 
And in spite of that, I can actually understand the Bible. Because of great heritage or great past or great thinking or great mind, it's because I can come in my life to a place of obedience and go our lives in a position. I didn't have to obey. I'd never be able to learn. Not ever. If I didn't have to obey, if I didn't have the opportunity to obey, I'd never have the opportunity to see. You do, and I do, and we can understand, we can see. I can know everything that God has for me by simply being. Father, this is important for us, and we, we know that. Um, but for all of us, it's frightening because all of us are aware of the fact, I, I suspect to some extent, that this is not the way we're made. It's not the way we're wired. The way we're wired. It's not, it's not that we look to understand your directions because you put in us the desire to some extent to lead. So help us to know, dear Father, that in order to lead, we have to understand. And in order to understand, we have to submit. May we be submissive. I pray that men in this room will be known as was the Lord Jesus for the fact that they're servants and followers. Servants of yours, dear Lord, and followers of you, dear God. Help us to live that way, I pray. In Jesus' name and for his sin.